0: But the Tiger King did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody.
1: It's so crazy. Loved it. The social media debates and just, and it, it's such a unique character, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, man, I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, like I said, I mean, it's an honor to be able to have someone with your background and, you know, your podcasting experience. I love listening to your guys' podcasts. You're great on the mic. Thank I think you. you handle a lot of these situations. We have happening around the world really well. <laughs> and you also, I think this is what's important is you provide bite-sized insights that aren't too bite-sized, if that makes sense. You know, you go yeah. on CNN, NBC, these mainstream media platforms, Fox News, whatever. They, they basically give you a quick one minute synopsis and half the time it's not even covering what actually happened while you're bottling everything in that perfect dynamic where if someone needs to learn more, they definitely can, you know, go as far in the issue as they want to go. But you provide enough information that they're actually informed on what's going on. And for my listeners that don't know you, I think if you want to give yourself a little bit of background, you know, let them know. Let them know what I'm talking about here. I think that'd be great. And we kind of start off there. Yeah, sure.
0: So uh, so I'm Kervin Oquin. I own the private intelligence company. Oakland Analytics. Uh, I was a 15-year Army intelligence veteran, uh, I was platoon sergeant for a signals intelligence platoon in the Army. Uh, before that, I was a geospatial intelligence analyst. I have worked uh, within the intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance field (ISR). Uh, recently, MQ nine that had that was downed by a, a Russian jet. I worked a lot with MQ nines um, deployed. Plenty of times, uh, I think when I was at Fort Bragg, I did in in about the eight to ten years I was there, I did fourteen to fifteen deployments, uh, various different roles as an intelligence analyst, an ISR tactical controller. Um, so that's ba- that's my background, uh, working with special operations forces, really in the intelligence realm. So I'm not an operator. You know, I didn't go through the course. Uh, I'm I'm not a Green Beret. But I focus on the field of intelligence analysis, and that's really my, my background. And so, like I said, I traveled. I did 12 to, to 14, maybe 16 deployments during that span. And then I started to just work overseas uh, constantly in, in the realm, in the ISR drone field. And, uh, and what happened there was I traveled a lot and we were traveling what we call on the economy, which means we just live in that country for, you know, at the time it was two months at a time. And so with that travel and the understanding of, uh, in the aspects of intelligence analysis with travel, I started the company, Oakland analytics as really sort of, uh, a, uh, intelligence traveling. Kind of company. And uh, I partnered with um, another intelligence officer, it was, uh, Peter Morton. We were going to do sort of this like uh, high level Fortune 500 CEO travel intelligence uh, sort of products, put that out there while they're traveling. Well, that was uh, February to March of 2020, April of 2020. It was supposed to launch. Uh, so we all know what happened at that point no travel whatsoever. Um, so that kind of died out. But that gave me just a thought to kind of pivot to something else. And so uh, I focused on, you know, what do I know? And what can I bring? What value can I add to the rest of the population? Well, as an analyst, you have to be a logical thinker. As an intelligence analyst, you have to be an unbiased logical thinker. Um, and so I started to focus on identifying aspects within geopolitics that I can review in an unbiased way and f- inform people in that unbiased way to give them insights into what's going to happen um, without all this political back and forth. Because once I saw once you bring politics into it, you kind of lose the insights that are happening and what's going on in the world. And so that's when I started the podcast, This Week Explained. And uh, and it just all came out of saying, I want to explain everything that's happening in the week in these short little snippets. Uh, try to get every important, what I see as important things going on around the world that I can give little snippets of. Um, and so I went to my wife, Tiana, and I said, hey, do you want to help me on this? And she said, no, I don't at all. <laughs> and I said, well, I think your voice is more important than mine is, as someone who uh, is not in the intelligence realm, as someone who is a question asker, is very inquisitive, um, I I think I need you there to push back on things with me and kind of ask me the tough questions. And so she agreed, and and we started the podcast in October of 2021. Uh, So now we're in, in 2023 and uh it's stronger than ever now i would not go back to those old episodes and listen <laughs> that was kind of a uh a testing out i guess but um yeah it's it's been awesome now i'm i'm starting to build a community uh what i call a private intelligence community so i'm bringing people who have this desire for unbiased insights to come in to a community um We'll put out a newsletter. You can read the newsletter, but we have uh a building up a site that everyone can go to. It's not like a social media site where you go every day, but you know, on a Sunday or a Tuesday, you can read through some of these subject matter experts that I've um I've been able to become friends with, like Cole from All Kind S2 and um and a couple of other, you know, I have uh I've had Andrew Bustamante on the show. I've got some of his um friends of his that said they want To kind of provide things so we're building a a community and i think that is what is important i think that's what covid kind of showed us if we want to keep talking about the the pandemic um it it showed us that when we lack a community we kind of can get we kind of can go down the rabbit hole and start to isolate ourselves and so that's when these conspiracy theories start to bubble to the top
1: Hey, everyone. Just want to jump in here real quick and say that if you guys are enjoying the episode thus far, you can do me a massive favor and leave the podcast a good review on whatever platform you're listening on. This will help us continue to expand this community and keep bringing on more and more guests. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. Now let's get back to the action. Do you mind if I jump in there? And that's actually a really interesting point. And I think what you kind of highlighted where you're looking to bring in your wife and you were like, I need your perspective because you don't have this type of background. I would almost add in too. with COVID is that a lot of the experts that we've been used to for decades, which is, you know, mainstream news outlets, even our political experts, politicians, whatever it might be, a lot of trust was lost over the past couple of years because things that people didn't know, people didn't understand was utilized against them, weaponized. And a lot of times, you know, we wouldn't know what was happening until five years later and we saw the impacts. And so I think what you're highlighting now is creating a community of people who genuinely are looking for the answers, bring nuanced perspectives, and are actually trying to provide insights to people that they can actually look at something actually form an opinion on it, and from there be able to, you know, really have a better understanding of the world. Do you think that's what a lot of people have been missing? And do you think that's also part of the issue with trying to grow these platforms now is that there's such a a distrust in, quote-unquote, the experts happening around because, you know, people have kind of been backstabbed so many times, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so it's the fool me once, you know... Shame on you, fool me twice. Shame on me. Um, we've been, we saw that with with COVID, like you said, and the problem is, a lot of us who are are thinking logically about it really said what you just said that it, it's going to take us five years, maybe ten years to actually lock, you know, knock down what really happened and what were the beneficial things. But with what we have created as a society with social media and the internet and, um, and going away from tangible handheld publications to online publications is, uh, and, and monetizing those publications is that news media sites have to get it out first because they have to be the first click and everybody wants to click on that, that first headline because that's how they make their money. And so what gets the clicks? Well, the most outlandish kind of things you can think of. Um, so those headlines started to come out, uh, especially during COVID. And we were all in our homes. There was nothing else to do but get on the Internet and see who was saying things about COVID or about Trump or, you know, the, the upcoming election. And so a lot of publications just ran with with anything and everything, um, and this is something I said recently on, on the podcast is that, um, when we're, we're seeing it right now, uh, we, there was a report on, uh, all over the media that said intelligence analysts believe that COVID came from the Wuhan lab in China. Uh, and that's, that is a true statement, but there is a lot of nuance in that statement because it's not every intelligence analyst. And I think. Intelligence analysts like myself and those officials who are in the community need to do a better job of explaining what they're actually saying, as opposed to saying, yeah, this is what I think. This is the most probable cause. And so you should report that.
1: I think this is actually a question I wanted to ask you, so I'm glad you brought it up. And I think it's important for my listeners, my viewers to, to hear this can you define military intelligence? Because I did listen to that clip and that podcast episode where you kind of highlighted this. And I think a lot of people get confused on military intelligence or just intelligence in general, how that's actually defined and what you were just kind of highlighting there. It's not a one for one. If intelligence says this, that's what it is. So could you run through that really quick?
0: Yeah. So all really intelligence is, um, and you have we have a whole intelligence process. But all basic from very basic, it is pulling in data, taking information, kind of pulling together all of that, assessing what that information says, building an intelligence product, and then offering those insights. So you go from information to intelligence, but it, you can't do anything with that until it's actionable. So we, we talk about actual intelligence, and that's where insights come from so in its purest form you know all information can become intelligence so you're pulling all kinds of data together Um, you, you read through all the data or you populate data on the map and then you formulate it is still at that point an opinion so you you formulate your own analysis which is still an opinion and you kind of base it off of uh, the way I do it is I have a probable, possible, and doubtful scenario. So you pull out a scenario. Let's say Russia's Rush, Russia, You you make a comment. Russia is going to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. And through all the data that you see, what where do you put that? Do you is it doubtful? Po- is it possible, or is it probable? And that sort of possible probable, doubtful, that's kind of the intelligence that you're looking for. So, the way, um, let's say, the the current intelligence that came out about the, uh, the origins of COVID-19, that was at a low probability. Um, so, people said, well, how can it be at a low probability? But that was the most likely scenario, according to these intelligence professionals. Well, it's because every other scenario was of low probability, but it was of lower probability than that one. So if you're looking at all of that, we still don't know. We still don't have proof of any of it that has come out in the open source. Uh, So when intelligence analysts are, are telling a journalist or a media person kind of these statements, they need to caveat it with. How that came, how they came to that conclusion, and where that fits on a scale of probability. Because when you say, "Yeah, we think that it came from," you know, the Wuhan lab. That's the headline. That's what's going to be run. Intelligence officials believe that's where it came from. Uh, Within intelligence analysis, we have what's called the analysis of competing hypotheses. And so, what happens in there is, is exactly what it sounds. You will take all these different hypotheses, uh, and I'll stick with COVID just to to break it down. So came from this animal, came from uh, the wet market, came from the Wuhan lab, and you analyze all of those hypotheses, and you come out with what you think, as the analyst, with all the data, what is going to be the most likely scenario. That one intelligence agency decided it was most likely it came from the Wuhan lab. Um, Other agencies, there are others within the U.S. intelligence community who don't believe that, who have done that same analysis of competing hypotheses and say that it came from an animal or the wet markets. So right now, we still factually, we don't know. We can all form our opinions or our analysis, but we don't know.
1: So how would you formulate the decisions off of that too? I think it's really important for people to understand that as well because as you highlighted, it, you know, the probability could be 30% versus 29% versus 14%, so if, if from simple statistics you're going to pick 30% because oh that's the most likely, but there's definitely as you were kind of highlighting other factors that will go into that. So what are some of the bases that would form some of these decisions because I think understanding that too helps you kind of see that big picture. And if news articles highlighted that, as you're saying, not only, you know, percentage wise, this is the highest outcome, but here are the key factors that this intelligence agency utilized to be able to come to this conclusion. So what are some of those factors we may see or would be necessary to kind of to come to some of those conclusions?
0: Yeah, so it, you'll start with where are you getting the information from? Is it a single source? Uh, as, as, like myself as an intelligence practitioner, I don't like to use single source reporting, um, just because you can't. It can't really be verified. Where you verify things is you go through multiple sources. Um, so that's that's first. How many sources do you have? And then you break down those sources. Are those sources credible sources? Um, you can say every single source is credible. And then kind of list them in the order of credibility. Um, if you want to take news, we can go with like news information. If you're getting your your open source information from different news sites, um, let's say three different sources have said it. Well, let's let's rank them. Let's go with news sources like Reuters, um, the Associated Press, the New York Times, Washington Post. Not what you feel about those publications, but historically, how have those publications ran these type of non-opinion articles? And then you can take that credibility and then balance it out for bias. Um, You can look at the bias between uh, the different types of people you're talking to or the different type of publications and kind of find the central bias in that ranking. And then you rank all of those and find what is the probability of this. So if you're doing it, it like you said, with a statistical in a, in a, statistical framework, you'll put all of that into a spreadsheet, let the data, um, run the data and then get the output. And the output tells you, Hey, this is a 70% likelihood. This is a 60% likelihood. Now, that doesn't mean that just because one has a 70% likelihood and one has a 60% or a 30 and a 29, it doesn't mean the more, um, it, it doesn't mean the higher percentage is what really happened. It just means it's the most likely. That's where the analyst actually comes in and pieces through it and then can go maybe historically or can, you know, you get an analyst that has an understanding of, of China and how the, the lab works and they can go, yeah, I know this is the most probable thing that the data output says, but this is not how it works in this particular area. So with this knowledge, I think it's actually uh, one of the lesser probable ways. And so it's not like, oh, well, you're trying to, to skew the data. No, you're, you're trying to read the data in the right way. Uh, there's that that term that numbers never lie, and that's actually not true. Numbers can lie depending on the way you manipulate the data. Um, you, you'll see it a lot in how media and, and news networks want to make you feel a certain way, so they'll manipulate the numbers. They will say, you know, uh, a thousand people died this year from whatever a certain cancer. And it's actually the least one, but they want to highlight that. You know, we we use it a lot with the, the gun debate in the U.S., where a left, uh, a more progressive left-leaning site will say there are, you know, a hundred, let's say a hundred shootings in a month. And then that's what they lead with. And then a right publication will go, shootings are down this month. There is only, what, a 1%... There's 20% less shootings. So both are correct, but both are using different numbers to manipulate the situation. And as an intel analyst, you've got to take that manipulation out, that unbiased out. Use what you know, and then use the data to identify from what you know, what the insight and what the output is.
1: So let me add to that, though. How is the intelligence, I guess, coming to those decisions? Evolved because I would say, especially over the past, let's say, decade, polarization has hit new heights. And what you are saying, you'll have a lot of publications that come forward, or even people within industries that are so polarized to one side or another that they're a little clouded, clouded in terms of how they'll, you know, make judgments or the headlines will put out. But then also, you have foreign entities, Russia, China, who utilize bots, who utilize social media, who put out. False information or try to create headlines or patterns, whatever it might be. We were speaking about this a little bit before the podcast, and I talked about this with John last week where I get attacked by bots all the time. Like you'll have a a bot farm just target your account, and all of a sudden, you know, the comments are crazy. You know, people are convincing other people that what they're hearing is wrong. They're gaslighting them on a topic, whatever it might be. So, how is that? Played into the decision making. Is it just another factor, or has it kind of involved intelligence gathering? You know, at another level.
0: Well, both of those are, are true. Um, so it has evolved how intelligence analysts, especially open source intelligence analysts, have to identify information, and that's why I say multiple sources are key. So, um, a lot of times, we will a person and. This is nothing wrong about how a person lives their life, but a person will see something that they identify with, something that speaks to them, whether it's true or not. If it speaks to them, they will see it as true. If that's part of their worldview, that is going to be true to them. And so you don't usually go to seek out other sources that will deny your worldview, um, unless you're going to go on there to argue with people. But normally... Uh, you'll see a headline that says something that you believe, and you'll begin. So, so then that forms, continues to form your opinion. And then so you discuss those topics with people and say, well, I read this. Um, so the way intelligence adapts to that is with new information comes new intelligence. But you have to verify the information. So even if it is single source, it could still be true. But if you can't verify it, you cannot run that as intelligence. So, from a very practical level, if, um, if, if while I was in Iraq, um, you know, targeting a high value target and I had a single source that told me, Hey, he is living in this house right here. I am not going to go to my commander and say, Let's get troops on the ground at that house because this guy. Told me, this one guy told me that's where he's living. That would be dangerous. So, the same thing should happen on a day to day basis when you're reading news or you're on social media. Verify the information and don't immediately react to it. Allow it to process, try to find some opposing opinions, and then logically come to a determination of what is actually happening in the world. Well, that's what we're trying to do with with the podcast and the newsletter and everything. Is that I I want to give both sides of the story. And I know a lot of people will say that's wrong. You know, you don't give both both sides of the story. Hitler doesn't need to have both sides of the story. And it's like that's very true. Hitler was very wrong. Everything that he did was quite wrong. I'm not talking about the Hitlers of the world or the Putins of the world. I'm just talking about your regular everyday people. Um, and I'll even on the podcast mention what Russia says about a situation because I think it's important what they're saying. And even though I know it's misinformation or even disinformation, it's important to get that out so that people know what that misinformation is so that later when they see it, they go, yeah, I already knew they said that. But here are actually the facts that undermine all of those statements.
1: And I think what, to add to that, and I think it's an interesting dynamic, obviously what we see in Russia is a very lockdown intelligence network. Pretty much most information is stemming from from the government. Now, to carry that into the Twitter files, I'm I'm sure you ran through those. Those are obviously a very big topic. And seeing... For the first time, you know, to how intertwined social media companies are getting with, you know, intelligence services. Do you think it's also important that people see that false information, that misinformation, or the way some of these foreign entities are able to kind of guide their populace towards, you know, one thought or another? Because we don't want that same thing happening here, you know, especially when you have agencies that might want to get involved in, you know, whatever it might be. It's really important for people. Like I was saying, there's already so much distrust, but there's also a lack of knowledge in what's real and what's not. So do you think that also is a dynamic that we should be focusing more on to say, this is what this actually looks like? You know, you need to be able to recognize it so it doesn't happen here as well.
0: Yeah, I think uh, as far as the Twitter files are concerned, I think... This is my personal opinion. I like to put that out there. Um, I think what Twitter, what Twitter did was wrong when when they started to um, delete certain voices and start to um, arbitrarily delete certain things that were being said that their staff and their company didn't align with. I thought it. I thought that was wrong. Um, it's how conspiracy st- how conspiracy theories start. It is, um, somebody says something like an Alex Jones will say something totally outlandish and everybody says, well, everything he says is wrong. So you just can't believe him. And then you find out that certain pieces of what those people are saying are actually true. They're based in some form of truth, but maybe the pieces that were put together are not fitting logically. So we don't attack things by silencing them. You attack things with truth, with facts. Um, And and we are in an age where people don't like facts anymore, I think. And and we need to get back to being uh, a society that wants logically based factual information. Um, And and if you're going to have an argument with somebody who is presenting something you think is factually incorrect, but you don't bring truthful or factual statements to oppose them, then um, there's, you're you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere in society. And and I do know, I've, I've seen the studies where the more facts you present to someone based on their opinion, the more entrenched in their opinion that they get. There's also studies done that show If you do it, if you present those facts in a way where you're saying, I see where you're coming from, but let me present it the way I'm seeing it, and let's have a discussion about it. Um, If you keep your your tone very neutral, you're not shouting, things things of that nature, you're not getting emotional about something, people tend to want to listen to you, even people that don't share your opinion. Um and, and this is a lot of times why you while you'll see someone like an Andrew Bustamante, who if you listen to him talk, he's very even killed. Um I, I struggle with this. You'll hear my tone go up and down a lot. Um I get passionate by a lot of things. Uh so I still I still work on that, but he's a an impressive a, you see, a former CIA agent. He he understands how to speak to people. And so if you keep it even killed and you tell someone, I understand where you're coming from, and really do understand where they're coming from, and then present an opposite opinion with the facts that you have seen, we can have that discussion. We can have a better discussion. And you may pull people over to your side, but also you may find yourself pulling back towards the center yourself and actually opening up your mind to certain different Realities that you did not see, but most important, you're going to open yourself up to different personalities that you would have never spoken to before. Um, what what happened over the last few years, where we can't even talk to our parents because they have a different political opinion than us, is totally wrong. Uh, I think we should all have conversations on on all of these things, and come at it where we understand. Both opinions, and we can live together. And so that I think is where the intelligence community can come in. And yes, I will say it right now: the intelligence community has lost a lot of trust with the American people. And no, it's not just a Trump thing. Although some of that comes out of you know Trump calling out the the intelligence community for right or for wrong, um, but there are a lot of things because. Those intelligence officials did not explain the whole thing, the whole story, and they, let's say, wrote a letter saying, "This is officially what we believe happened," um, or "We denounce this because of information that that we have seen." Without talking to people who have diverse opinions on on the situation, it, we lost trust. It really did, and so I'm. But what I'm seeing now are people like myself and other intelligence practitioners who are building these communities and trying to regain the trust in a private arena, as opposed to this big government
1: umbrella. So we see people like Elon Musk coming in, wanting to create an an open environment for Twitter. Anything goes, talk, discuss, kind of what you were highlighting. Let's, Let's hear ideas. Now you have people on the other end of the spectrum, like Sam Harris, who believes that we should leave a lot of the discourse to the experts because when too many people get involved, when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, that's when you create these wild theories. Information gets spread out and misinformation starts you know, becoming rampant, whatever it might be. So if I was to hand over the keys to social media or give you the money to be able to, to on a 10-year timeline, as we were talking about at the top of the episode, what would be some of the steps that you would do to be able to flip that trust around and be able to actually create some of those dynamics that you were highlighting where people are actually having conversations where public discourse becomes a net positive again? And because this is something I think even Elon is struggling with right now. We've seen so much backlash on Twitter. So I'd be interested hearing your perspective on it and what the approaches you would take on a 10-year, five-year timeline, whatever it might be. To actually be able to make that change and that impact,
0: yeah. Well, first, uh, first I'd say I would take money out of it, um, and that's just not plausible. I, I think I, I think the social media site dies at that point. But taking advertisements out of it, um, because with with that money, those people gain power. Advertisers gain power, and they can start. Uh, they can start threatening to pull their. Pull their money out. Pull their resources out because you said something that went against societal norms or or what whatever is the current thing that people are debating or discussing about. Because so that's the first thing: get the money out of it. Um, and as some know, I don't work with algorithms or, or anything like that. I do understand uh, how that works a little bit, but I'd fix the al- algorithm. And I saw Elon Musk tweet today or yesterday that he's going to. Push the algorithm for Twitter on open source and make it publicly available for everybody. I think that's a smart idea to see um, to, to see what's actually going on because social media right now, as it's done with Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, it is ruining people's minds. It is it, it is literally making people dumber, um, and, and I'm I'm talking about myself as well it is not right to wake up in the morning and scroll through Instagram and see everything that's going on or, or get on Twitter and read through debates that people are having and start, start to get angry. What that does to your mind is not good. And so we see kids getting depressed and, and struggling with, uh, even though there are a billion people on social media, they feel alone. And that's I think one of the benefits of social media is even if you are the strangest kid and feel the most alone, you can hop on social media and you have a thousand to two thousand other people who are very similar to you and you can have a conversation with them. And so I really think if we and and like I said, we take money, take advertisers out and privatize these social media sites. just so so you make it to where you can be in a community of like-minded people with some diversity and you're not attacked. I think what, it, what the problem right now is, uh, and so some of it is bots, but there are a lot of people who just want to be a troll. And so they just want to tell you, you, whatever opinion you have, they want to have the opposite opinion and then attack you for that. So, you know i don't like canceling any voices or silencing people but if you're going to personally attack somebody's uh, physical looks or the way they talk or you know the opinions that they have personally attack them for the way what they believe or what whatever they have that can't happen so those things do need to be taken care of and to be silenced because um You don't silence all these voices because they bring something to the table when they have different opinions, but just attacking somebody's physical or, or their, you know, religious belief system doesn't bring anything to the table. It just, it kind of just devolves the entire conversation. Um, So I do think those should come out. And then we start promoting like, Good voices, not like you said. I, what's funny is you brought up Sam Harris because I was just listening to his the uh, Lex Friedman podcast with uh, with Sam Harris, and I think yeah. I love Lex. He does a very very good job, um, and he kind of discusses that where he talks about uh, and Sam Harris talks about it. and And listen, I, I've listened to Sam Harris, and I have I think he's a very bright individual. He's he's good with um, like mental health situations, but I don't think. I think our problem is that we have left it up to these sort of academia types to be the only official speakers um, of certain situations. I see it all the time on Twitter where, you know, something happens in Ukraine and everybody starts blasting information about it. And some people get ridiculed and they go, oh, look, you know, it's it's the experts of the latest event that has happened Um, and and some of these are not people who are saying that they're experts on it they're just reading things and they're trying to put information out there and so instead of telling them oh you're just the latest expert on this if you do know something about it try to educate that person on something Um, but there are actually some voices who when a certain situation happens you've never heard of them and they do come out and say you know They'll they'll talk about a situation because they are an expert. And the reason you didn't hear about them is because they're an expert on that particular situation. You know, a Harvard professor is not a a subject matter expert on every single thing in the world that's going on.
1: Yeah, to add to that, my perspective walking away from that podcast specifically, but a lot of those issues, and I think you highlighted it well. Again, I don't consider myself a subject matter expert on everything. I think I have a very Diverse knowledge of a lot of topics, which is why part of the reason I wanted to start, you know, what I do on my channel, my podcast, stuff like that, is I like discourse. I like learning. And I like also being able to kind of discuss some of these more advanced ideas with people who are actually experts in the field. But I think for me, at least, one of the biggest aspects people should have is creativity, and that's creativity of thought. And I think that one of the things Sam Harris in that specific interview was overlooking a lot is that you don't need to be an expert to have the right idea about a topic or to come up with an interesting perspective on the topic. You have some people that may only be reading a little bit on this topic for the first time, but their creative ability or their nuanced thinking can help them come to a perspective that a lot of experts might not actually be thinking about. And I think losing that is would be a massive net negative for society because when people actually come talk, you get those creative ideas forward and it lets our ideas and the way that thoughts are kind of created move forward because there's that creative aspect to it. There's that thinking outside the box. And to add to that, I I guess... Oh, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, just just to touch on that because one of my favorite scenes in, in... I, I watch Ted Lasso. It's one of my favorite shows, just because of how good-hearted it is and how it deals with things. But one of the greatest scenes in that show is a, a scene where they're playing darts, and um, and Ted Lasso is an American. He comes to Britain to to coach soccer, and everybody makes fun of him. Everybody thinks he's a moron because he doesn't fit the societal norm. And, uh, and so they're playing darts, and and he's losing, and uh, and he just says, yeah, he basically says. You know, I've lived my whole life like this. Everyone has judged me. But he says one day he saw this, this quotes, be curious, not judgmental. And he said, and so he wins the dart competition because they weren't curious. They didn't ask, did you play darts? Where he would say, yeah, I played every day at the bar with my dad, you know, for 12 years or whatever be curious not judgmental and i think that's some of the problems in academia we in academia we have and and particularly with sam harris and like i said i love sam harris i think he has a lot of good things to say but he's not curious he's judgmental um and lex is phenomenal because all lex lex is one of the most good-hearted people i think in the in media today And he has that curiosity, just like you were talking about curiosity and creativity go hand in hand. And so uh, I'm glad you brought that up because there's another fix to what's going on in society. If we were just honestly curious about what the other person was thinking, I think we could go a long way in um, in having civil debates with each other.
1: That's a great point. Yeah, I mean. I think that's a, that hits the nail on the head. And that's kind of exactly what I'm looking for. Is, And I think you were highlighting this earlier, where a lot of people, when their opinion is not even attacked, but just dissected, they immediately want to shell up and defend it instead of being open and actually want to learn from the other perspective. I think what you're highlighting there is, yeah, if we can create that curiosity where people want to know why you came to the conclusion that you did. And I think even what you, what you were talking about earlier in the podcast, where if intelligence services came out and said, this is why we came to this conclusion, it would help so many more people actually understand why their perspective is the way it is. And it would also kind of generate the methodology for them to think about situations that they face you know, in their life or other intelligent situations that may come up. And actually kind of apply some of those concepts as well, which I think is what we're missing a lot of the time is we look at a headline, immediately stake our opinion on that, and you know, that's kind of where it ends. And that creates, you know, a lot of issues in itself. I wanted to add from a more macro perspective, we talked a lot about the US, some societal issues we're facing. And this is a this is almost too big of a question, but Who is winning the modern intelligence war? See, we have, and as you highlighted um, earlier this week, Russia shot down an MQ-9 drone that was flying near Crimea. You know, China has their own, you know, intelligence operations are kind of running. I think one of the biggest highlights, which I'd love to get your perspective on this. I think it's one of the most most critical issues facing the U.S. right now, which is Mexico and, you know, how a lot of ways a lot of the political kind of polarization that's happening there as well but with all these different foreign entities playing who do you think's winning kind of that modern intelligence war that we see happening in the background that is oftentimes ill discussed you know in mainstream media
0: yeah i still think it's the united states just because of the sheer um size of the apparatus So we, we, as the United States have our hand in so many things. And because of that, we're able to pull information, um, from all different kinds of sources. So we have bases around the world. We have operatives all over the world. Um, and so we've got the technology. I think the U S is more advanced in technology. The, the U S this is this, the, the U S intelligence community. Um, more advanced technology, more advanced in the people that they can recruit. Um, but China is creeping up on that. The way they're, they're doing that is they're sending their own, uh, th- at a young age, they're sending students to colleges and universities in the United States in order to uh, gain information from you know particular sites. What they're also doing is infiltrating certain uh, political entities to promote Chinese propaganda. I think that's one of the things that um, the, the U.S does not do a good job of and it's because it's not very it's not a very ethical thing. Now the CIA does kind of work in that realm of utilizing misinformation in order to promote. US interests. but they don't do it on the scale that a uh, a China or a North Korea or a Russia does. Um, as far as some of the best intelligence operatives I've ever encountered in my life, that would be in Israel, that'd be Mossad. They are, um, when you think of quiet professionals, um, which I know the, the Green Berets will call themselves quiet professionals. The, the intelligence community is known as quiet professionals. Um, those guys, those men and women in Israel are definitely quiet professionals. You have... It, you have probably come into contact with a Mossad agent and you have no idea that you did. Uh, they, they are all over the place and they are capturing intelligence, even within the United States, not to attack the United States, but just to understand better the, the global power struggle. Um, the, the Chinese are, are way up there. As far as like the best trained it it was at one point, the so Russian intelligence agencies uh, or intelligence agency, when you talk about like during the cold war, you will get some of, first of all, the most in order to be a good agent, a good intelligence analyst, you do have to have a love for country because you have to understand that what you're doing is the right thing in, in order to continue to do that. So Uh, A love of country, that's Russia. That is, you know, right now the FSB, GRU, those kind of agents, those guys love their country and they will do anything. They will put themselves through anything in order to promote, uh, you know, Moscow and Russia. So kind of to, to rank them, I would put the U.S. and then Israel and then China and then Russia.
1: Do you think there's any risk that the US loses that position? I think there's a lot of backlash happening in the US populace where, you know, the International Criminal Court put out that, you know, arrest warrant, whatever you want to call it, for Putin. And a majority of the comments that I had was like, what about the US? What about the US? There seems, it's almost, It's a gift and a curse that we have the freedom to kind of be able to talk on these topics. And um, as I highlighted at the top of the episode, you know those those foreign entities have such a stricken toll on the intelligence. Do you think it almost puts us at a disadvantage and something that we're going to have to adjust to, or do you think you know there's always that ability for the U.S. to kind of overcome it just through our ability to you know think ten steps ahead, whatever it might be. Or are they quickly catching I'd, up?
0: Uh, I think China is quickly is quickly catching up, and it's so. What is happening within the intelligence community right now is that we are politicizing everything. So in order to um, in order to put out an insight or an intelligence product, you have to filter it through the big social constructs of today. And so some analysts are having to rewrite you know their their analysis or their insights because it doesn't fit a narrative that the mainstream of people believe um so that is going to that is is gonna make the United States falter within the intelligence community and it is already happening, you know, like I said because and I'll go back to if you remember, there were like thirty something intelligence officers who released a statement on Trump. That's a political statement. You were an intelligence officer, and I believe it was former intelligence officers, uh, but but you were still in the intelligence community, and you're putting out political statements. W- whatever you think about Trump and who he who he is, who he was as president. That's not who you are within the intelligence community. You are there to put out factual insights and analysis based off of information. You can say because of one, two, three, four, five, we the thirty signed here believe this is why it's bad, or this is what's going to happen. But to just write a letter and say we disapprove of a certain person because of things that they say—that uh, that's not intelligence, and and that's politicizing the community um, we've seen the fbi on multiple occasions politicize the intelligence that they've released they have um that you know they put out before the the clinton trump election james comey put out the uh the hillary clinton um what was it the uh now, now i'm losing it <laughs> it's oh the emails the benghazi emails the emails yeah so, yeah. uh, so they put out for the emails, and then we find out during, um, you know, we find out, okay, they did that. And then we get text messages where t- FBI agents are talking back and forth about n- trying to not have Trump become president. Um, and then Trump comes in office and politicizes the intelligence community. And if they put something out that goes against him, they're fired. Uh, so I really think, that the way that those agencies are built, that the government is the customer, the president of the United States is the customer, needs to be reworked, because if the government is the customer, that means you you give the customer what they want, or else you're going to be fired. Um, well, the government wants to know how it's going to continue to in the, in the U.S. at least how it's going to continue to be the top superpower. Well. Um, the CIA, the FBI, the intelligence community, they're going to have to give to the U.S. government what they want in order to succeed in that way. And then that is changing year to year, You know, whether it's every two years or every four years, you get a new boss and that's just not sustainable. Um, so we got to take politics out of that within the intelligence community. And uh, if we don't, if we don't do that, in the United States, China is going to overtake it. China has the resources, the money, and the people in order to do that. Uh, and, and we are going down a, a very um, scary path with this Taiwan situation. Um, and so I do think everyone needs to take a step back and figure out a diplomatic path in order to achieve not You're not going to get peace on Earth because we have too many diverse thoughts and, and too many evil people in this world. But we have to sit down and have a conversation and, and come to a diplomatic agreement on um, what, what can we agree to. And if, if we don't, it, we're going to see in real time which one of the superpowers is actually at the top. And, and that should scare a lot of people.
1: Absolutely agree. I actually talked about this last episode as well. Is I think a lot of American people are so American focused. They're so focused on the issues that are happening here that they're not paying attention to the issues happening over there. Taiwan being one of the biggest. And as that relationship continues to sour, once, you know, once China decides to pull the trigger on that, there's really no going back. The US either has to move off that treaty, which is, would look very bad in the world's eyes for the U.S. Or if conflict happens, it's hard to say that one nation or another simply goes back and says, well, we lost that one. You know, it, It's a snowball effect that nobody wants. So adding to that, though, and you, you were talking about this, how would you rework the polarization that's happening in the intelligence agency? Because on one hand, some may be worried that Having no one to answer to almost allows them to become too powerful. That they're going to take, they're making decisions that in their minds might be in the interest of the American people, but you know, in the end could end up having a lot of negative backlash or you know, the American people wouldn't necessarily agree with. But at the same time, when you have those constraints that come from polarization, that come from politics or leaning one way or another. A lot of the things that we need to have get done doesn't get done so how would you rework that relationship
0: well like i said we got to take the government um or at least the the president out of it that that should not be who um the director of the cia goes to um who who should they go to i i don't know you know it shouldn't be elected officials who are from a certain political party. Um, I, I would do better training for for analysts within the intelligence community. I would put a, um, you know, in, in the U.S. military, we are told in uniform, you're not allowed to make political statements. You can't make, um, you really can't make any statements one way or the other. I think that should go for the intelligence community. There should be better training on how to deal with the media. Uh, it, you know, it used to be, you say, "Hey, I, uh, I have no, you know, I can't confirm or deny this situation, or I can't confirm or deny that happened." Uh, go, you must, you need to go to our uh, our leadership. They need to have what we call in the military the um, the PAO, the Public Affairs Office, which is where it's like the military's journalists. I think the intelligence community needs to hire better PA, public affairs officers in order to uh, to explain these analyses or these situations in with nuance, so that they actually present everything instead of just "I believe" or "I analyze." This has happened. Um, yeah, and then and then just take, as I always say, take money out of it. You know, don't don't make the these positions, career positions, you know, have an influx of new, diverse, diverse thinking people. And I, I do think the intelligence community lacks some diverse thinking out of the box thinking. Um, a, a lot of times we want to train our analysts to focus on a certain region. You do all of that and you stay in that region and there's no over there's no overlap. We saw this happen for 9-11. You know, analysts did not speak to each other. And the overall analysis of will um, will Osama bin Laden send people to the United States to carry out attacks on aircraft was seen in the intelligence community as doubtful. There was no way that was going to happen. Based on what they thought at the time, the U.S. is too much of a superpower and Osama bin Laden is not powerful enough and, and he's not crazy enough to actually do that. Uh, but there was there were some analysts actually who were looking at the situation and were putting different thoughts on paper and putting that out there. But that didn't get communicated up the chain of command. And so when we look back in hindsight, we go, "Well, why didn't you listen to this guy? Well, we never saw that we we never saw that information um and so they you know the the u s government they enacted new laws where there's going to be more cross communication between intelligence communities, but it's still not happening um we're still trying to keep information close hold for certain things we have a need need to know is sort of uh, a statement that within within your clearance within the intelligence community you say. Uh, even though you have a clearance, a TSSCI clearance, you don't have access to all the information because you may not have need to know. And I'm not saying to pull that need to know out and just give all the information to everyone who has a clearance, but all the like we talked about with the Twitter files, all that information does need to be communicated to all analysts so that they can do that analysis of competing hypotheses and actually formulate a, maybe a different opinion than what they already had. And that can get put out. And I do think we need to work on declassifying some items. Um, not, we don't declassify how we do things or why we are doing things, but if there is something important that the American people should know about or the people of a certain country should know about, That information should be declassified to a level that is uh, that is able to be presented. Especially what we found during COVID. Now, I was I was working in a classified arena when when COVID happened, and so everything was was on a classified system, and we shut down. Everybody go home. Well, I don't have a classified system at home. Um, what we found was we were just classifying things just because it was being done on a classified system. So the information wasn't classified. The information could be readily available. But because me personally didn't want to push that down to a lower level, we just classified it. And so as we started to read through some of this stuff, there was some unclassified things that we could push down that we could then work on at home. And and I think that is something that the government intelligence agency should look into is let's go through everything that we've classified and see what pieces maybe we can are, are not really classified that we can deconstruct and inform the American people. I think they're starting to do that. Like with the, with UFOs. Um, a lot of people think that, Hey, the government's going to prove that, you know, aliens have visited us. Um, but I just see it as, Hey, we want to open all this up so there's some transparency so that when these conspiracy theories get wild, you actually have the information that, oh, okay, this, while it may look like a UFO or a UAP, um, it's actually something totally different. You know, it's the, the aspect of the way the sun shines on a particular part of a metal object that is creating this or, or something like that. And so you can demystify some of these things just by releasing the information that you would think is classified, but it's actually, it's only, the only thing that's classified is how we came into contact with some of this information.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that would be a massive benefit for the US and just society in general, if a lot of intelligence services adopted that, I guess, backpacking off of that with your own intelligence um, firm that you're kind of forming and the open source network and open source intelligence field in general. We've highlighted so many of the negatives that people's perspectives might be, you know, from governmental agencies or whatever might be. What are some of the net positives that people following you that follow another open source, what are some of the net positives for society and for people personally that they can see.
0: I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up um, because I didn't want to miss out on this because I think we saw it in real time. What open source intelligence, how open source intelligence is a net positive. We saw that with the invasion of Ukraine. Um, so it was November of 2021. And There were a lot of open source, there's a lot of open source information coming out of Russia that troops were getting lined up on the border. And so you had a lot of open source intelligence analysts, trained open source intelligence analysts who were trained to identify certain aspects of a situation and then historically identify what may come of that. And so a lot of, myself included, a lot of open source uh, analysts were saying, hey, Russia is going to invade Ukraine. They're gearing up for it. And you had world leaders like uh, Emmanuel Macron in France, and, uh, and I forgot who else sat with Putin, and had him lie to them, to their face, and they believed it. They came away from those meetings and they said, he tells me that he's not going to do it, and he seems pretty trustworthy in this. We proved that that was wrong. And the open source intelligence analyst on, this was all over Twitter, all over, it was all, I mean, this wasn't dark web stuff. This was Telegram, Signal, Twitter, um, Facebook. We saw it coming. He had the meeting with G during the, the Winter Olympics. And we all, the intelligence practitioners all kind of saw, you know, right after the Olympics, he's going to invade. So the day after the Olympics, he invades. So that was a net positive. Another net positive in the same situation is, we started to see this misinformation coming out of russia the special military operation the um the you know where certain atrocities are happening but russia is pre- is presenting a false flag operation and trying to blame the ukrainians for it and you had open source practitioners uh you know really really good intelligence private intelligence companies that did the the work to check the metadata on videos and photos and, and check locations at certain sites to kind of debunk all of that stuff. Um, and then, and now with what's going on with between China and Taiwan, you were seeing people starting to call out China for staging naval drills and, and certain things like that. And people who were following, um, you know flight patterns and seeing military flights back and forth and kind of predicting what's going on. All of those are net positives. Had you know had mil- had government leaders been aware of these small private intelligence analysts doing this work and and showing what may happen in the future, we might have a different outcome. Um, we we saw. I mean, I saw on Twitter. About a month into the invasion, that line of Russian equipment tanks and vehicles just in a convoy lined up and nothing happened to them. But, intelli- you know, open source intelligence practitioners were blasting it on social media every day. Hey, look, here's here are these vehicles. And what that does is, yes, we as in, uh, even in the classified realm, in the covert intelligence operations, we are reading those tweets and and sourcing through the the open source unclassified stuff in order to make decisions. So when you're putting that stuff out on Twitter, um, hey, look what we found here. Uh, An intelligence practitioner from Ukraine can say, hey, let's plan an operation around what they're seeing on open source. As long as you can verify the data Verify the information being presented. It is a it is a very good idea to present that to an intelligence professional and let them formulate a plan for a military to attack the situation um, in a way they might not have seen it from. And that goes back to the diversity. Uh, you know, my answer about diversity and having more diverse voices. Uh, not everybody should be a yes man or yes yes ma'am. They should be. They should push back on things. Uh, you know, a devil's advocate that says, I see where you're coming from, but what have you thought about it from this way? And when you bring those new ideas to the table, you can actually formulate a solution that no one has thought about.
1: Well, Kevin, my man, I got to say, if if that doesn't convince people to go and follow your stuff, I don't know what will, because that is spot on. I will say it was an honor to have you on today. And honestly, like I've said, what you and people in your field are doing is extraordinary i think it's necessary and i think you guys are providing people with the first time in a while an honest opportunity to know what's happening in the world so if you want to shout out uh, all your social sites let people you know be able to find you i hope everyone can go over and follow you because like i said it's a great opportunity to really know what's happening
0: yeah, we are Oakwin Analytics on Instagram. I focus a lot on Instagram. I use Twitter. As, it's Okwin Analytics on Twitter, but I use that as sort of an open source uh, data collection. You won't see too much there, but I do put stuff out there. You can go to okwinanalytics.com. Um, I'll send it to you. So you could put in the show notes because Okwin is not the sort of the easiest name to spell. Um, so yeah, you can go to the, to the website. Like I so said, we're building a community. Uh, it should go live. hopefully April 1st, it goes live and uh, we can actually accept it's a it's a subscription based community and hopefully we start accepting people into it. We have a, a, like I said, a social media site. It's not a daily site to get on all the time. but I've brought subject matter experts from across the intelligence communities from across the world to come in and to provide insights to any questions you may have um, and, and when world when when events happen in the world, you're going to have access to what that event means, why it's important, and how to protect yourself. That's I, I just I really want to build a community. I like that you said that at the end that the the us private um us private people, private organizations and agencies, uh, smaller ones, not the big conglomerates. We need to kind of to gather together and start to focus on what's true and inapplicable to everyone's life. And, and that's what I hope I can build with this community.
1: For sure. You're going to be my go-to guy when, uh, when world events happen. I'll tell you that in the next episode, let's definitely get one in person in DC. You know, that'll be a lot yeah, of fun man. and hopefully uh, something too crazy doesn't happen, but something interesting <laughs> enough that we'll, we'll come in and we'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, awesome. man, everything will be in the show notes. So if you guys uh, heard that, definitely go check that out. And again, Kervin, it was an honor to have you on and you know i'm excited for you, where you're going to go and kind of the growth that you're going to see and what you guys are offering to the community thank in you. general so thank you
0: honestly thank you for having me uh, i appreciated this and I, I appreciate the questions thank you see everybody